Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to be sharing with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have another guest on the show and I am speaking to Stephanie Bonasteer. Stephanie is a mum of three girls, occupational therapist and a binge eating and diet culture recovery coach. Stephanie helps women stop the binge restrict cycle, feel more at home in their bodies and stops letting diet culture get in the way of people leading authentic lives. Sounds fantastic. Now, Stephanie hasn't always had a peaceful relationship with food. She struggled with restrictive eating, binge eating, and later orthorexia. But Stephanie has overhauled all of this, changed her relationship with food, and come out the other side, and now helping others to do the same. So I'm really looking forward to this interview and hearing all about Stephanie's journey and her thoughts on supporting people today. Let's get to the interview. Hi, Stephanie. Great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Harriet. Okay, so Stephanie, could you tell us all a bit more about who you are and what you do? Well, first of all, I am Stephanie, and I am a binge eating and diet culture recovery coach. So I help women stop binge eating and stop the binge restrict cycle in particular and feel more at home in their bodies. And also I focus on kind of dismantling diet culture and the ways in which it's getting in the way of our lives and in society as well. I'm also the mother of three young girls, and I am an occupational therapist as well. So I'm busy, busy over here. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, you sound very busy. And are you still practicing as an occupational therapist alongside your binge eating role? Yeah, well, I'm still licensed. And I, well, before coronavirus, I was still working part time. So I haven't been working since my kids have been home and I've been homeschooling them. It's still a part of my life, but it's... I'm actually looking to phase it out because I'm absolutely loving my new career as a binge eating coach. It's really fulfilling to me. So yeah. Okay. So you kind of found your thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a journey. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a bit more about the journey that you've been on? Because obviously like you've had your own issues with food and body image. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So could you say, tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So I had become aware of my weight, I guess around the age of 10, I had been introduced to the idea of dieting and I dabbled in it a little bit from that young age, but it didn't become a huge problem for me until I was about 15 years old. Around that time, my parents announced that we were moving to a different state right in time for my senior year of high school. I guess I found out at the time I was a sophomore, but I knew I would be moving. I'd had a best friend who had just gotten a boyfriend and she suddenly had a lot less time for me. And at that time I started to restrict my food more and more and it grew into an anorexia and that's where it really started. And from there I ended up traveling through really all of the eating disorders, binge eating, bulimia, and eventually orthorexia. So yeah, I've sort of done them all. And I I really struggled for a full over 20 years, pretty much straight with a variety, you know, going kind of dancing back and forth between all of those disorders. Mm, Sure. So yeah, it sounds like it really ruled your life for such a long time. 
I'm interested as well, like you said, it started when you were 16, 15, 16, kind of like, mm-hmm. or, or more in a pronounced way. And I think, I mean, it, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because it sounds like then actually there's a lot of change for you going on around yeah. that point. You know, I can imagine like suddenly mo- having to move to a different school at that age when you would have been probably had quite a close knit friendship group mm. or would be yeah. quite challenging. Yeah, it was, you know, that's the age, you're sort of coming of age at that time anyway, you're, you're figuring out who you are, you're kind of separating from your parents at that age. So it was very, it was, it was a lot happening for me at that particular moment in time, at that vulnerable moment in time. I turned to food to, I think it was, it was a way for me to, you know, kind of control what was going on. It was an, it became like an anchor actually in an otherwise topsy-turvy, chaotic sort of time in my life. And I really, it became the focus because it was something else I could put my mind on to distract me from all of the unknowns and all of the uncertainty and all of the loneliness and the, you know, the otherwise the pain that I was feeling at that time, it became a way for me to channel it into that, which was obviously not the best coping mechanism, but it was the only one that I knew. So, and I think when you when this happens at such a young age, it's like your brain, your brain is still forming at that time. You're, you're learn, you know, you're, you're solidifying your ways of coping in the world. And so I think that's why it ended up lasting so long for me because it just became imprinted in my brain that this was how you coped. And it took me a lot of time to untangle that. Mm, sure. And you said you sort of, it started off, did it like as much more kind of restrictive, kind of like more like anorexia nervosa presentation, mm-hmm. but then it later went on to kind of binge eating. And how long were you sort of in that more restrictive phase before you found yourself in cycles of binge eating? So I was restricting with anorexia for about two years. And then I distinctly remember this. It was right before we actually moved. And I opened my refrigerator door in my kitchen and my mother had made a bowl of macaroni salad, which was like one of my favorite things. And I hadn't had it in years and it was completely off limits and it was staring at me. And I binged on the entire bowl. And I, from that moment on, that was, that's when my binging started. And I had the most incredible remorse and shame around having failed at anorexia, at having, you know, eaten food when I knew that it was, you know, how many calories were in it and and all of the, you know, all of the things I had told myself. And now looking back, I understand exactly why I binged and that this was a completely normal protective response on my body's part. But at the time, I just saw it as this huge failure and it became a cycle of restricting and binging literally from one day to the next. I would fast one day and I would binge out of control the next. And it worked like that for many, many years. And then when I went to college later, it turned into just binge eating because I was just unable to maintain that level of restriction. And I think my emotions were just so all over the place. And I just started to binge. And then I used laxatives because I was desperate to get rid of the food. And then I learned to purge and, Throughout my 20s, it became, I would just kind of go through episodes of just binge eating and then purging alongside. I had therapy at the time too, which helped me actually with the purging, but it never helped me stop binging. Binging was the running theme. Following the period of anorexia, binging was constantly happening in some capacity or or another for the next, you know, many 15 years. 
Mm. So when you look back as well at that time, like when you had therapy then, and like, I guess now doing the job you do now and having that insight and, and understanding into the illness, what do you think maybe at that time meant that the therapy didn't kind of help you stop binging? You know, can, can you answer that? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually really liked my therapist. He was wonderful and he tapped into things that to this day I still think about and think he opened a lot of doors for me. And as far as the psychology of, you know, what my pain really was and understanding how to, you know, identify what was going on underneath the binge eating. But, and I actually, I also um, went to an eating disorder clinic when I was in, in college. So I had a lot of treatment for eating disorders, but I never had anyone at any point address the physiology piece. And I think that was missing. I think that no one ever explained to me why a person binges and why our bodies want food when we restrict. And so by never addressing the restriction part, I was never able to overcome the binging part. And I did not understand how they were linked. And I think that was the missing piece for me. Mm, so interesting, isn't it? And I think it's such a powerful message, isn't it? Because I think it just really shows, like you said, that work you did with your therapist was really valuable because it gave you all that kind of insight and that, you know, that deeper appreciation of the sort of psychology and, you know, that still stays with you today. But mm -hmm. the physiological side does need addressing too, doesn't it? Like in a way you can yeah. be, because if you're in, the, in that restrictive place as well, it's, it's really hard as well to manage your emotions effectively, isn't it? Even, yes. if, you've got, even if you've got the insight, exactly. you know, you're not stable, are you, to be able to do that? So I think it's a great point actually that you share that because I'm sure many people listening might relate to that as well. Yeah. And I really feel like I just needed that explanation because I did have, you know, these treatment centers were trying to get me to eat regularly and to stop restricting for sure. But I just never understood that I wanted to go about it the other way where I would stop binging and then I would stop restricting. And it was never explained to me that actually the restriction was fueling those binges and that I would have to stop the restriction piece first before I stopped the binging. And I think just having, if I had known that and understood that, it would have changed my mindset quite a bit. Mm, sure. Yeah. It's almost like that kind of missing piece, wasn't it? Yeah. I guess, yeah. The clinics were probably trying to kind of get you to that point, but it was, mm -hmm. it was almost that kind of missing piece that, that hadn't been explained. So, so helpful. So what happened with you then? Like, it sounds like you were kind of in that binging cycle for quite a long time. So it was as well, was that kind of like, did that stay at the same level of intensity or did it go through cycles? Mm, it did go through cycles. I met my husband, you know, in my 20s. And, and at that time, he brought something into my life that, you know, he, he brought a level of acceptance and love and support that I hadn't experienced quite in that way, which helped. It muted the binging a bit for a time. And I would go through periods of time where I would sort of diet and, you know, get my eating center, quote unquote, under control. But it was really more of just, you know, it was like a boiling water under a lid. I could stifle it for a bit, but it would eventually come back out and explode around me. So I would say that there were periods when the binging was less pronounced and it would, but it would soon be followed by a, another episode of it being quite intense. And I think life experiences would exacerbate it also just, you know, just normal life things, normal life stresses that I would go through. But when I entered my thirties and I started having kids 
it gradually became a lot more, it became actually more intense with motherhood and with postpartum anxiety mm. that I suffered with. And it became in, grew into orthorexia actually later after the birth of my second daughter. That's how I channeled it after a while. Mm. So when you kind of went down that kind of more wellness orthorexic route as well, was there something that kind of was, was it sort of all, cause I know a few years ago, particularly there was just, you know, such a big kind of wellness presence wasn't there mm. in the media and like, was very trendy to be kind of like quitting sugar and all that kind of thing so do you think as well like was there a particular thing that led you down that road do you think particularly yeah so after I had my second daughter I started becoming more interested in my kids health and so I wanted to I started to make their baby food and I I think I was desperate to really control my own eating and I happened upon a sugar detox exactly like you say and I just fell into it. And I used it to justify, you know, getting rid of things in our house and our pantry. And it was looking back, I can see that it was a way, it's not just a different way for me to control my food, but because it was in the name of my kids, it was a lot more acceptable. And I felt really morally superior for doing it. And I actually really became obsessed with it and became a health coach. I went, I studied at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and became a health coach and then went on to start running my own sugar detox programs. And my house and my kids became, you know, it became like no sugar in my house, no GMO foods in my house. It was no processed foods. Mm. And I was doing it for my kids, but I was also, it was a way for me to, to try to rein in my binge eating, which ironically or not, actually was just getting worse by the day as my health consciousness became more intense. Mm, Sure. I mean, I think as well, like, I think you're not alone in that place where I think, you know, when one gets seduced a bit down that kind of sugar-free detox Mm -hmm. kind of wellness place, and then you know, outwardly, one appears to kind of, you know, have it all together and be like leading this super healthy life. But then (laughs) behind the scenes, it's all kind of chaotic. And yes, very much. Did you find that as well? Like, I guess it must have been like a real kind of conflict in terms of like, you know, what you were presenting to the world and, you know, and what was kind of going on inside? Yes, I didn't see it like that at the time. I thought in my mind, I was doing the right thing by promoting this healthy lifestyle and, you know, promoting anti-inflammatory foods and this whole thing. And I, you know, but in secret, I was binging and I really saw it as my own failing. And I really stood by all of the beliefs that the wellness culture gives us. But I thought that I just wasn't doing it right because I'd had this eating disorder in the past that was still haunting me. And I did not see them as connected. I thought that wellness was this wonderful thing that I was pursuing and I had all of the knowledge around it and I understood it and I was very well versed in it and I taught people. I mean, I thought I was doing all this good, but I thought, well, my, but my eating disorder is just this thing that I can't escape and it's still haunting me. And if it weren't for that, I would be this completely healthy, you know, wellness guru. If only, if only I could get rid of this eating disorder, I did not see how they were actually one and the same until later. I also, after, had, after I had my second daughter, developed a series of symptoms which mimicked Lyme disease, although it wasn't diagnosed as that for another couple of years. But that really also exacerbated my anxiety at the time, which had become postpartum anxiety. So I had all these conditions that I also was 
attributing to inflammation. And I used the wellness rhetoric to justify why I needed to eat really clean to deal with possible Lyme disease and to heal anxiety, which again, was actually becoming worse and worse, the more restrictive I got. And those symptoms ended up resolving once I healed my relationship with food, but that didn't happen until later. Mm, sure. Well, really fascinating, actually. And I think just so, thank you so much for sharing that so openly. So I think it's something that people will relate to, you know, a lot. Whereas I, th- I think often as well, the intention when one goes down the wellness route is quite honorable, isn't it? And like doing right. the right thing. And also, I think as well, like what you're saying, it's almost about how people perhaps will see it as quite disconnected from eating disorders. It's almost like eating disorders are this other thing, really. Yeah. But, it, you know, actually, no, I'm kind of, you know, doing the wellness thing and this isn't, this is kind of healthy. And yeah, and actually they can be very closely linked, can't they? Yes, yes definitely. So, so was there like a turning point for you? Like, you know, when did, what was the kind of tipping point when you just sort mm. of decided something needs to change? Yeah, so that's a great question too. I think there were a bunch of factors involved. One was that I was approaching, I was in my later 30s after I had my daughters and I felt this sense of, wow, I'm going to be 40 in a few years and my life has not magically changed. It hasn't magically resolved. And I always imagined that this would be something that would just go away. I couldn't imagine that I would live my whole life like this, you know. And so approaching this milestone age was like something just got in my head around, oh my goodness, nothing's going to change if something doesn't change. And also with having three girls in particular kind of raised a lot of awareness for me in terms of how I didn't want to pass this on to them and that that would become an issue as they got older. Already my oldest had been asking questions about why I never wore shorts and why I ate a different dinner than she did sometimes. I tried very hard to hide to hide it, but I, I mean, there were things that she was just starting to see and I knew that was only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. So there was that, but also Instagram came around. I, I had finally moved over to Instagram and Honestly, I came across an anti-diet account in my, I don't even remember who it was at this point, but in my sugar detox health coach journey, I somehow came across this anti-diet account and I peeked into, you know, the possibility of not restricting into accepting all foods and the idea of intuitive eating, which had never come across to me before. I had never even understood this as an option. But I rejected it initially. I was, and I think this happens a lot where it went against every single thing I had ever been taught and every philosophy that I had em- embraced, especially in wellness. And I immediately like, I you know, unfollowed and I didn't, I just rejected it, but it stuck somewhere in the back of my mind. And I didn't let it go. It was always under there, but I was trying one more, you know, one more proto- wellness protocol before I, you know, before I would really look into it. And eventually it got to a point where it was one wellness protocol after another. And I was binging again. I was binging again. I was binging again. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go back to that account. and I'm going to look, I'm going to see what this is. And I ended up finding the book through this account, the book, The Fuck It Diet by Caroline Dooner. And it was just casually mentioned in a post that I'd read. And I said, you know what, what do I have to lose? It's, it's something different anyway. And I read that book and it made so much sense to me in a way, and it was presented in this way that I had never considered. It was a new option. And I, 
I think at this point I was, you know, like I said, I was about to, you know, I was almost turning 40 and I, I said, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. And if I fail, I can't be any more soft than I am now. So I did. And that's what started the shift. Mm, sure. So, and was it for you, like once you kind of like got your head around, like you, once you sort of read the book and you started to sort of delve deeper, was it kind of like quite a rapid change? Like, did you have like an overnight rejection <laughs> of the wellness culture? Was it more like a kind uh, of drip, drip approach? It was drip, drip. I think for, for the wellness thing, it was drip, drip. I definitely dabbled in that for a while before I read the book. Like I said, I had seen this account and re- first I rejected it. And I, but you know, mm-hmm. it, it planted a seed. I had spent maybe a, a whole year just sort of looking, looking around at the, those philosophies and coming in, to terms with them very slowly. It was at the end of that year, I would say, that I read the book, The Fuck It Diet. So at that point, I sort of understood everything, but I had not, just hadn't put it into practice yet. And once I read the book, I read it and I was like, okay, I am all in on this. I'm doing this because something about it spoke to me so loudly and mm-hmm. something in me knew that this was exactly what I needed and I decided to do it, which is not to say that that was an easy choice or an easy process, but it was something that I knew that if I didn't do, I was going to live like this forever. Mm, sure. So it sounds like in a way it was almost like you kind of knew, didn't you, in your heart almost, it was kind of mm-hmm. really kind of pulling you in and you just, yeah, it sounds like in a way you had had enough of the wellness mm-hmm. stuff. You'd done it enough times, hadn't you, to realize that going back yeah. down that path again, it's just going to be another dead end. Yep. <laughs> and did you work with a coach, did you say, like to help you with that? Yeah. I did. I was lucky enough that my husband was extremely supportive of this entire thing. He's somehow escaped the diet culture uh, <laughs> world himself. And so he, he encouraged me. So that support was great, but I also needed more support. So yes, I did hire a coach to work on the body image piece in particular and the anti-diet mentality. And so having that in my back pocket as I went through this was really, I think, one of the most crucial things I could have done because I needed someone. I think support in general is just, it's such a radical thing to do this, that having someone who's cheering you on, who understands, and also who you know, can speak to your doubts as they arise, which they do every single day, especially in the beginning, is really, really helpful just to stay with it. And, mm. you know, because it, it looks worse at recovery, I think, at least in my experience, and in the experience of a lot of my clients, it, it almost looks worse before it gets better. And so mm. there's so much temptation to go back, to go back to the way you were doing it before and to think that this is not working and to have someone in your corner who's saying, no, 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 just stay with this, stay with this, this will pan out was really important. Mm, sure yeah and it makes a lot of sense doesn't it because I think yeah when we're kind of embarking on anything new having like cheerleader supporter encourager and maybe someone that's walked that path before or just really gets it is so valuable Mm -hmm. definitely so what was your journey then obviously like you worked on yourself and you changed your own relationship with food and your body and then you decided did you to you know work as a coach yourself yeah So I had been a health coach, like I had mentioned Mm -hmm. in the years prior, and I had put that on hiatus as I went through my recovery. And 
about a year into my own recovery, I felt much stronger and much more like my eyes sort of open, like you awaken from a dream or something and you're like, oh my gosh, my, my whole life is ahead of me now. You know, what do I want to do with it? And I knew I loved coaching and I also really, really enjoyed writing. And so I created an Instagram account and I was like, well, I don't want to be a health coach anymore, but I'm not really sure what I want to do here. So I just started writing about my process and I got a lot of response and I felt just really, it was very cathartic for me to, to have written, you know, to write. And then I, people started inquiring and started following me more. And I felt really like, this is, this is what I want to do. This is the coaching I want to do. I want to help people who I couldn't believe I was recovered. Really. I was like, I cannot believe this is my mm -hmm. life that I get to do this, that this is real. And this, there's hope. And I wanted to reach out to people who were stuck where I was, you know, in all those years prior. And so I shifted my focus. I got more training and I, you know, rebranded entirely. And so I became, you know, I, I started becoming a, a health coach for anti-diet and or anti-diet. I don't call myself a health coach anymore because it has so many connotations, but I actually believe that holistic health is a lot more represented by intuitive eating and anti-diet than the traditional forms of what holistic health claims to be. But yeah, and I started taking on clients and then it just grew and grew. And now I have a almost a full-time caseload, which is why it's hard for me to stay in my occupational therapy world. But it's it's so fulfilling to me. And I have watched people heal and just like, you know, every time we have a session and there's an aha moment, you know, it's like I just love being a conduit for that and to, you know, hold someone's hand as they go through this process that can be so, it can just give you your, your life back. And that's just the most fulfilling thing to me. Mm, well, fantastic. And I, I mean, I love your Instagram, Stephanie. I think you put across ideas and concepts in just such a relatable way and, and very creative and your little PowerPoint slides. I know they're not PowerPoint, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, they're, they're yes. great. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> so if I was a client like coming to you, so how does it work? Like, do you run like, do you do like kind of programs or like numbers of sessions or how does it work mm -hmm. with it all? Right. So I currently run either six or 12 week programs where it's week calls. And also I have text coaching that happens in between the calls so that you're really supported on a daily basis instead of just call to call, because I know that things come up and I know how it feels to have like, you know, oh my gosh, I need some support right now. <laughs> so I do have programs that have calls and integrate with text coaching. And I'm also in the process of developing a larger program, which may become a group program or just my signature program with eight different modules based on different things that helped me on my journey, which is currently being offered. I'm rolling those out one by one by one as they are created during the course of you know, the rest of the year. But eventually this will become a larger program. So currently, yeah, right now I'm actually my allowing all foods course opens next week. So that is going to be module one of the larger course and hopefully mm. a group course too. Yeah. Okay. No, sounds exciting. And I know you said as well that, you know, like in your own journey, like looking at the roots of the behavior as well as being an important part, as well as doing the, the physiology bit and, you know, it's kind of the whole package, isn't it? And is, yeah. is that something that you try and address? with your clients as well, like trying mm -hmm. to look a bit about, yeah, the roots of things. 
Yeah, definitely. I'm big on self-growth and introspection. So rather than just fixing, you know, addressing the behaviors, which is very important in terms of like the physiology piece, I think that comes first. Like you mentioned earlier, we have to address the physiology before I think our brains have the capacity to start looking at our emotions and our thoughts and how those are playing a role and even social justice pieces and how those are contributing to the way that we think. I think we have to heal are eating first, which is why my modules are in an order such to address that piece in the beginning. And then moving along to figure out, am I feeling my emotions? What are my self-critical thoughts? What are my, do I have a creative outlet in my life? Do I perform self-care? Do I have an inner child that needs healing? All of those pieces can then be looked at because they're working under the surface of our eating. It's never just about the food. So I like to have, you know, ask questions that get people thinking about those things and how those things might be playing a role. Mm, Yeah, and it sounds fantastic, really, to be like working on on all those different levels, because I think it kind of is about the food, but it's not about the food as well, Mm -hmm. isn't it? That's Mm -hmm. quite complex. And so what are your sort of particular kind of passions as well? Kind of, I think you've obviously already talked about quite a few things, but are there any kind of particular areas of this whole kind of topic that you're particularly passionate about? Yeah. Well, I am passionate about working with mothers and people who have, you know, who are trying to raise kids outside of diet culture. I think it's really important so we don't pass this on to the next generation. And also just being in the motherhood phase of life and feeling like that sense of overwhelm and having an eating disorder on top of that and just working to help people understand that they don't have to live with that kind of struggle. You know, they can help themselves and they can put themselves first, even when they have children so that they can be, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup, you know. I also really resonate with people that have dealt with anxiety as that was something that was largely fueled by my eating disorder. And I was able to really improve my symptoms of anxiety through, you know, healing my relationship with food and again with orthorexia as well, because I relate, I know that mindset, I understand it. And so I like I find myself able to help people a lot who are dealing with those things as well as the binge restrict cycle, obviously. Yeah, no, sure. I mean, it sounds like great work you're doing. And I think motherhood can be a really tricky time, can't it? And I think Mm. if you're struggling with your relationship with food as well, you can feel such a lot of guilt about that. And like you're saying about almost like making time also, you know, for yourself as well. Because I think often, yeah, mums get pulled in so many different directions, don't they? And Disorder, the, or the disordered eating can, you know, become kind of worse almost because of there's just not any kind of time or, yeah, to right. take time out and all of that. So, no, it sounds really, really good. So, Stephanie, as well, like, how do you work today to find, I guess, like with this kind of history of binge eating, eating disorders, etc., how do you really find that healthy balance today with food and exercise for yourself? With food, it's become a non-effort at this point. And honestly, I still wake up and think like, wow, this is amazing that I don't, I'm not <laughs> counting anything today. Like the freedom I feel on a daily basis with food does not go unnoticed. I'm very grateful for it, but I don't really struggle with that anymore. I make sure that I keep certain, I know that this can be a slippery slope. And once I believe that once you've had, especially if you struggled for a very long time, that this can always, this is always going to be a vulnerability. So I have certain things that are non-negotiable. I have all of my meals. I have my snacks. I don't let myself get too, too hungry. And I know how to deal with my self-talk, you know, if that comes up. 
And I just, I follow the course in terms of that. And with exercise the same way, I, I gave up exercise during my recovery because it was too, there were too many compounding factors there. And I ended up going back to it once I realized that what I really liked about exercise was being outside and also the strength, the feeling of groundedness I would get when I did like strength training and I could feel my body because I had been so out of touch with my body. And now like I don't allow myself to work out a certain, you know, beyond a certain number of days a week because I don't want to rock the boat in terms of expectation or, you know, just falling into that mindset. So I, I have a rhythm to what I do and I have you know, I listen to my body when it's like, for example, this week, my kids are all sick. And it's the first week back in school. And I'm not exercising so much this week, because I know that my body needs some downtime. And I'm not afraid to listen to that at this point. And I also ask for help, you know, my husband is working from home. And he is like I said, he's supportive. And I use him when I need to when I feel like I'm getting into that state of overwhelm, or, you know, anything like that, I ask him for time, I ask him if I can, you know, for that hour, you know, after he's finished with his day, you know, I need some time and I need some space and I go take that for myself and I'm not afraid to ask for it. Mm, sure. So it sounds like you really kind of almost integrated, haven't you, sort of certain almost like kind of pillars of self-care, you know, that are non-negotiable, like you're going to eat yeah. regularly, you, you monitor your exercise, you know, you ask for help, you make sure you're kind of doing that self-care and I guess it's just very wise, isn't it? Because I guess we, you know, we can all have a vulnerability to slipping back, couldn't we? But um, I think it's so positive, Stephanie, as well, because I think there'll be people listening today that have struggled with disordered eating, eating disorders for like many, many years. And I think sometimes well, people become, they start to feel so hopeless about change and, and if that's really possible. And I think it's just really encouraging, um, you know, to hear your story and how you've kind of genuinely come out the other side and you're in a much yeah. better place now. Yeah, definitely. It's the hope that that's so wonderful in terms of, yeah, I have a lot of clients who come to me after years and years of this and just never thinking that they'll get out of it. And it is entirely possible. Sure. Yeah. Recovery is possible. Key uh-huh. message. <laughs> so what do you think as well in terms of like, you know, young people growing up now, obviously you've got daughters. I know I've got a daughter. How do we kind of help them, do you think, to have a better relationship with food and their bodies? It starts at home, of course, in terms of the way we speak about food and the way we speak about our bodies and the way we don't speak about food and don't speak about our bodies. And so, you know, I make sure with my kids that I don't refer to food as good or bad or, you know, unhealthy or even like unhealthy and healthy. I try to stay away from those terms and try to have my kids understand that all food has a place in our lives. And I do this more through modeling, I think, especially for my younger ones than actual words. And, you know, boundaries are different than restriction. And I think that's something that I've embraced more as a mom with, you know, kids do need boundaries. And, you know, in terms of food, they're so young, their brains, of course, they're going to go for all of the, you know, ice cream before they're going to eat their dinner. But to just frame it in a way that's saying this, you're allowed to have this food, you're allowed to have the ice cream, but we're going to have dinner now and then we can have ice cream later, or this isn't on the menu right now, but we can have it tomorrow. Just without all of that, all the weight of the shameful sort of speaking around food and bodies. I don't weigh myself. I don't ever speak negatively about my body in front of the kids or talk about the way I look. We really focus on how things make us feel. But beyond the home environment, you know, just education, I think even for like um, for pediatricians and in schools, you know, there's so many schools that are doing 
weighing, you know, on scales and health class and the effects of that are really far reaching and can be really detrimental. And I think it just comes from, you know, the world is we swim in diet culture and wellness culture at this point. And it's all done in the name of, you know, good health. But I think ultimately, I think people are rather unaware of how it's affecting, especially young girls. And to educate around that is going to be a piece of this, I think, moving forward. And so I like to advocate whenever I can at my kids' schools, or even just talking to other moms and Mm -hmm. just sort of planting seeds. Not everyone is ready to hear that. And not everybody will embrace that, you know, for sure. But I like to, I'm a big fan of planting seeds. (laughs) Yeah. Mm, yeah for sure I think that's the thing isn't it sometimes is it's you never really know like you can be kind of uh, you know talking about something and someone might not be in that place yet to hear mm-hmm, something exactly. take it on board but yeah the planting seeds is crucial and I think is what I think I think it's just so much this whole thing about education because I just think people sort of comment on like weight loss and everything kind of you know I think when we haven't had that the education about kind of why diet culture is so harmful it just kind of leaks out of us doesn't it I think you know Mm. unconsciously often you know without even intending to say something negative but it's just so harmful yeah the more we can kind of educate people and make them aware that is the way forward (laughs) Um, I believe so yeah yeah (laughs) So, Stephanie, just a few last kind of quick fire questions. What would be your last supper three-course meal? Three-course meal. Okay, so this isn't separate different meals because some of them, some of my favorite foods don't go together. (laughs) So like a starter, starter main course dessert. Okay. All right. It doesn't matter that it get together. (laughs) Oh, it doesn't? Okay. Uh, Yeah, I do love sushi, but it doesn't go with my, what what I would choose for my entree. (laughs) But my family has, I'm Italian in heritage, and we have this meal on Christmas Eve every year, the Feast of the Seven Fishes. And it's one of my favorite, favorite meals. It's the only time a year we have it. And I think I would do that in the beginning. I would have some fried calamar and all the different fish. And then I would move on to my favorite pasta dish, which is rigatoni bolognese. My mom makes it the best. And I would definitely ask her to make that for me. And then I would follow up with ice cream because that is my all-time favorite dessert. Sure. Hands down. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And do you have a favorite quote or mantra? Yeah. There's so many that I love, but the one right now that I have been teaching a lot of my clients actually, it's by Carl Jung. It's, I don't have to say it quite right. It's until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. This just speaks to what we were talking about earlier in terms of really getting to the root of things and making ourselves aware of the beliefs we have and the emotions we have that are driving our behavior. And I think there's so much power in just digging into what triggers you and what makes you tick, I guess. And yeah, that's the psychology piece in me, I think. Mm, Yeah, and I love that. And can you tell us something about you that may surprise us? Oh, let me surprise (laughs) I don't know if it would surprise you. It's just something that is just a random fact about me is that, do you remember the show? I don't know if you remember. It's called The Wonder Years. Did you ever watch that show? Yeah. Yeah. I watched that show when I was a kid and I still, every if I watched any episode of that show to this day, there's not a single episode that I could watch that doesn't make me cry. I cry every time and I watch an episode of that show. It's just one of those things that always like pierces oh. me in the heart. I think it's because it's that coming of age time, which is such a... A special time and it's a particularly poignant time for me sure oh well thank you for sharing that and I'm sure you're not alone with that either 
<laughs> Good old Wendy is. <laughs> well, Steffi, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for like sharing all your wisdom and insights and also for telling your story. I think it's been incredibly helpful. And I know, you know, so many people are going to learn so much from this. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. This was fun. It was nice to talk to you too in person, actually. I follow you on Instagram too, but I never had the opportunity to just speak to you face-to-face, so to speak. Yeah. Okay, great. Bye. So I hope you enjoyed this interview just as much as I did. Do check the show notes for all the info about Stephanie if you want to visit her website and find out more about what she does. Now, if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for regular blogs to your inbox, do sign up at my website, rethinkyourbody.co.uk, and you will also get a free ebook, Three Secrets to a Better Body Image. I'm also launching a new course, which is 10 weeks long, Steps Towards Intuitive Eating, and that begins on Tuesday, the 22nd of September. If you're interested in that, do register your interest, again, at rethinkyourbody.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.